are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Guys, VisiPay.com is doing $1.5 million a month right now, or $18 million on average. Uh, this is talking last year's numbers. He's thinking they'll do about $27 million this year. He helps over 10,000 local bars, restaurants, auto repair shops in rural America process credit cards faster. He gives away a $2,000 POS system if they ask for it. They then run their math. He's taking on average $0.58 cents per transaction. Did almost $60 million transactions last month. And the best part about this, he's done all of this completely bootstrapped with his team of 130 folks out there in Iowa. Hey, folks, my guest today is Austin McNamby. He's a CEO, co-founder, and executive leader of VisiPay, a West Des Moines, Iowa-based provider of payment technology solutions for businesses all across the U.S. He's been in this role since April 2017 when he co-founded the company. Austin, you ready to take us to the top? Absolutely. Let's roll. All right. So what kind, it's, it's rare you hear about a fintech company in Iowa. Usually it's like New York, Miami, San Francisco. How did you get into this space? Well, you know, Iowa, we do have airports and, you know, paved roads. So uh, we actually, we're a real deal. Um, I actually got in the space about, uh, gosh, 18, 19 years ago. Um, I've been in this space since my whole adult life. I'm 38 now. So I've been doing it for a while. Uh, best, probably one of the best spaces to be in and probably the most. Uh, initially, people didn't know a lot about but about the industry itself, payments, fintech, and obviously it's becoming more dominant now uh, as you see the bigger companies arise. Well, so Austin, give me an example of a company that's using you and how they use you. Uh, well, we focus on rural America. So we don't focus on big towns like Chicago, San Francisco, Dallas, all these other areas. We focus on mom and pa shops um, in rural America. So, you know, take Johnny's Auto Repair in Atlantic, Iowa. Just as a Is that a real one? Uh, place. Uh, probably not. I'm just using a, a okay. default name. I, you, I, I don't want to use uh, client's names without them uh you know, let me know. But uh, let's say Johnny's Auto Repair Shop in Atlantic, Iowa. You know, that individual, um, you know, believe it or not, we could put people on the moon today, but these individuals have dial-up internet still in some of these rural areas throughout the United States, which is sometimes depressing to, to see. So that's why we're kind of really focused on rural America because we believe technology is passing them by. Um, and they're passing them by these big companies that have to answer to stockholders, et cetera. They want to be in the big towns where there's more processing volume, there's more transactions and more population. While these smaller rural towns in America are being underserved. Um, so mm -hmm. technology is passing them by. And then when they want to level up, the technology is way too robust and way too costly with too many long-term contracts. Therefore, they resist. Uh, mm -hmm. So they're always stuck kind of in that middle, right? So how do we level them up and get them to the playing field with you know, simplistic technology that gets them to the next step? Uh, you know, uh, evolution-wise, when it comes down to cashless society, may not be in our lifetime, but eventually could be. How do we get them to the next step so they're not left behind? Austin, let's use a real example here. Proletariat, which you talk about on your website, so I know we can talk about them, is a local yep. bar in Perry, Iowa. They're one of your guys' customers, yep. right? So are you replacing Toast and Square? You're doing a hardware play also, or is it just the fin the behind the scenes, how to process the restaurant, the new bar order, things like that? Um, it's uh, a little bit of both. Um, so since you mentioned that you know place, I know exactly that place. Um, yeah, I've been there. Um, but... Uh, we place a POS system in there to help their business run more efficient, you know, within the organization. Um, 
And without the you know high cost of you know other competitors that are out there that you mentioned, what is that cost, um, Austin, for, for, the, for the pro- proletariat? For just do they have to buy the POS, or do you subsidize that if they use your software on the back end? Well, in our situation, we have an equipment placement program, so based on volume, et cetera, that we will place it there, no cost to them. So we're contributing two, three thousand dollars worth of equipment, you know, to their doorstep, and we give them options to basically eliminate what they pay for, you know, accepting credit cards, and give them options to do that. Uh, through the technology and through the POS we place at that location. Wow. Anyone want to get into this space? It's it's hard to pay two to three K to install the POSs for free. So how did you how did you get to the point where you could do that? Did you raise a bunch of equity dollars to subsidize that or how did you do that on day one? Well, we've been uh, around six years coming up in April. Uh, we bootstrapped this whole company from the ground up. You know, I was door to door six years ago and here I am today. We have 130 employees. Um, and we have You're still bootstrapped? Of agents that sell for us. We're still bootstrapped, not $1 from outside money. That's um, awesome. And, you know, so our play is slower because the markets we're in, you know, so we grow slower. So it took a while before we could offer things like that. But doesn't mean we didn't utilize other technologies that were out there to help them level up and um, give them the options to eliminate what they pay for processing, et cetera. But now we're kind of in a position that we can help more. And why not when, you know, someone that might not have 2K laying around, we can work with them to get that in their location, make them more efficient, save them the processing fees. And, and lead them in the right direction of where they need to be instead of, you know, be stuck with us. And here's a bunch yeah. of money to spend. And by the way, if we do give it to you for free, you're stuck in a four-year term and it's $20,000 to cancel. It's a, it's a nightmare for these guys. And they're scared. And they should be. But what is your contract know, like? They don't know. What is your contract? You can't give away a 2,000 piece of equipment without locking them for some period of time, right? So we have three options. If you buy the piece of equipment, everything's month to month here. Um, okay. If you decide to uh, buy it upfront, it's month to month. Um, if you decide to do a payment plan, because we do interest-free payment plans for our clients, if they want to buy that, that's also month to month. But if they want us to contribute two, three, four thousand dollars to their location, we do ask for a thirty-six month term. But the kicker to it is, is all we're asking for in return is equipment back and half the retail cost that we contributed, and done. Uh, while most companies will say, "Hey, by the way, you're." You're going to owe us fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars to cancel because that's the profit we would have made on your account. Therefore, you're going to pay us what we're going to lose if you leave early, and that's probably the bigger names you just mentioned. So, yep, yep, yep. That's great. I can see why proletariat would love a model like that. Way more flexibility. I clearly see the focus, obviously, on rural America. I guess before we move on from the hardware thing, uh, help me understand how like the operation size on this. I mean, do you have you know a thousand POSs out there today, or ten thousand, or a million? How many pieces of hardware do you have out in the world today? Uh, we have a little bit over 10,000 clients across the United States, but that doesn't count maybe like the hardware because some locations have two or three pieces at their location, right? Um, okay. So if you just did a baseline of 10,000, cool, but you could probably add 10%, 15% more to that for additional pieces of equipment. There's always not just those POS systems with like a smart screen. Sometimes it's a basic smart terminal because they don't need something, maybe even that robust. So. Yeah, that's a big expense. I mean, so let's say 10,000 clients, they have two POSs per locate, like in the location, right? So that's, that's 20,000 POSs at two grand a pop. I mean, that's $40 million of hardware expense right there. How did you come up with 40 million? Are you just, are you really profitable? Where do you get 40 million bucks bootstrapped? Um, well, remember there's two types, right? There's, there's the POS systems that cost two to 3000, right? And then there's basic smart terminals that are a couple hundred bucks. You know, oh, about ninety percent, a little bit about ninety percent of our clientele don't need a POS system that's two or three thousand. It's mainly for restaurants and bars and retail locations that have a lot of inventory, but a lot of them are they just need basic terminals that you know level them up from the 
the good old days of you know the, the 2000 you know six or four when I when I came in the industry we're trying to get them to a smart terminal actually a smart terminal screen kind of like an Apple phone etc but that's substantially less money yeah so this is uh, this is like this is like PAX technology the PAX A80 the Deja Vu those kinds of devices which you don't manufacture and charge 2k for those are third party providers you've partnered with. Yep. And then we also offer those for, usually we offer those at no cost as well. Um, um, no, don't get me wrong. That has added up over the years to be a lot of money. And, and so millions of dollars, but that is based on, you know, us slowly, but surely kind of, you know, ramping up over the last six years. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is really interesting. Now you've mentioned no fees and stuff. You've mentioned you give away the hardware for free if they sign up for a 36 month term, but Austin, how the heck do you make money? What's the revenue model? Well, it's, it's easy. So, you know, uh, owners aren't, aren't accountants, right? Uh, most of the ones we deal with, they're, they're not rural America. They're rural America. They don't have big C- CFOs. They don't have people looking over their shoulder every five minutes to tell them where you know rates and fees can be. So it's unpredictable. Um, so what we did was we found a way that's not unpredictable that allows them to get ahead of the game instead of stay behind the game. And they actually include processing fees into their pricing um, instead of uh, you know, instead of like, for example, think about like cell phone bill, light bill, labor, that's all in their pricing of costs, right? They don't put, they don't sell it to you and I for costs. They sell it to you and I with a profit on top of, right? So for, for many, many years, most places don't include the processing fees into their pricing. And then we, they leverage the technology that we have to basically isolate that and remove it every single, you know, transaction. Um, but we make sure that it's uh, high enough for these individuals that they don't ever have to come back to the you know, we don't have to come back to the well again and say, hey, by the way, we have to raise rates. We have to do this now. We well, actually Austin, what is the rate? Like, let's just make it so like everyone listening can 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 understand this. Let's say they buy a five dollar beer at Proletariat, right? What 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 does VisiPay make on a five dollar beer sold at Proletariat? So we well, I can just tell you the number. I mean, we make about fifty eight cents per transaction across the United States. So on average, uh, we make about fifty eight cents per transaction. Um, and depending on program, these are also programs that they don't want to eliminate big fees and they want to pay it. They want to be like the good old school way. And that's less profitable for us and less savings for them. But that is an option that they decided to use sometimes over, uh, including into their pricing. They There's don't no rev pricing. share then it's just a flat 58 cent fee for the $5 beer. Yeah. So yeah, we don't do any rev share with a small business owner. I'm just telling you on our end, on our profit, it's about 58 to 60 cents per transaction. We make, you know, out of the millions of transactions we do a month across the United States. Um, and that's, there's more to that, obviously, and the, but uh, we don't have enough time to probably go through the details of how that works. But but it's not a percent. You, you, proletariat, when they're signing up for this, they're not saying, I'm agreeing to 36 month thing where every dollar we process through through your thing, you get to keep a 5% cut. There's not a rev share. It's a flat 58 cent fee on average. Well, it's, it's not. So we're not charging them 58 cents. On average, we're making that across the board uh, because everything's based on like high tickets and interchange costs. Interchange costs is something that everyone pays, including big guys like Walmart, you know, guys like. You know, small business owner, rural America. The cost of cards of acceptance—that's a baseline. So that's sometimes between anywhere between one point eight to two point five percent. So we're basically we're profiting on top of that number. So for example, let's say a card comes in and it's the cost was two point nine. Let's say round up to three percent. It's an American Express card, but we're including the processing fees and the pricing at four percent. You know, so therefore we're making that difference, right? That's how our company makes money. I see. I see. So now, you'll charge on a, on a, on a dollar. Yeah. Let's make it easy math on a dollar beer, right? 
you know, Interchange or Amex might take uh, three cents. You're going to charge proletariat or whoever it is four cents. So you make a cent on that transaction for a dollar. Correct. And then the way, in a nutshell, the reason, yep, yep. And, in a and that's that way. Yeah. So if you, the reason you're able to give me the 58 cents number is because you're taking the average transaction value across all of your clients per month right. and millions of transactions. And it comes out. So it comes out to like an average, what is that? What's the average ticket? It's going to be like 35 bucks, 40, 50 bucks, something like that. Well, about 20, above 25, $35 across the board. Um, and that's, remember, that's taking all our programs encompassing. So that's the program that I just mentioned to you is our cash discount 2.0. We have surcharging as well. That's legal in most states now. That you know, cost of the credit card when you walk in, they upcharge at the register, and then you have regular basic interchange plus cost, which is cost plus our pricing. That's our markup. So on interchange plus pricing, we make substantially less. You know, mm-hmm. cash discount we make substantially more, but they save more. And in the middle, surcharging we make in the middle of those two. So that's why it's an average across. Because some places are a lot more, and some places we make substantially less depending on the programs that they choose, but we give them the options to make the best decisions for their organization, not ours. Um, like they might say, we don't accept, we don't accept Amex, for example. Yeah, yeah, we don't say Amex. And you know what? I don't want to go raise 2,000 of my SKU items and include the, you know, the processes of my pricing and use your technology to isolate it. Uh, screw that. I'm going to do something different. It's easier for us. And then they'll choose another program. And that's on their choice, not ours. And it shouldn't be yeah. our choice. Yep. Yeah. That's very cool. Okay. I want to put this on a timeline real quick. So you launched, you said six years ago, I think. So that means 2017, you got going? In April, 2020, uh, April, 2017. Correct. That's amazing. Okay. Can, do you, do you remember the first restaurant or the first role like business you signed up? How did you get that first customer? Yeah, actually I do. I, I'm the one that signed them up. Um, I actually went door to door, like any sales individual would, uh, Sign deals up because that's we had, at that point we had I mean we were, we basically had nothing, um, and it was actually an auto repair shop on Second Avenue in Des Moines, Iowa. And I walked in, and you know I've been teaching sales reps to do this business for years in my previous company. So I just used tactics that I've known and I've learned. I've done myself. Went in and did a proposal for that auto repair shop. I mean I remember at first he he acted like an employee the whole time, not the owner of course, until I started talking and talking, and eventually he said, "Okay, I'm the owner." He opened the door, talked to me about it. I did a proposal for him, showcased to him where we could be different than where this other provider is. He signed up, and as of today, um, you know, he is uh, still a client of ours on Second Avenue. So that's amazing. Okay, so that's your first customer. I guess fast forward to today, what's the total transaction volume you processed over the past thirty days? Um, uh, uh, well, this year, so it's unique because it changes that de- depending on, you know, weather, like wintertime, slower, marinas aren't open, et cetera. We have a lot of deals throughout the Midwest. Um, but, you know, this year we should process well over $2 billion of processing volume. Um, wow. So it's hard to use this last month because we just came out of a holiday. But, you know, it's, it's crazy because the first four years that we, we started, we didn't even do $2 billion collectively until the fourth year. You know, mm-hmm. this year alone, which is going into the sixth year. Uh, we'll do well over $2 billion in this one year, um, yeah. which is exciting for us to see because it took us that long to get there. Now we can do those things in one year and actually more than that. So, And what was total last year, processing volume? Uh, processing volume last year was close to $1.7, billion that we processed. Okay. So this year we'll do well over $2 billion. Um, So I would say closer to three or more, but I'm just, again, projections as of this point. That's wild. So 1.7 billion in volume at 30 bucks a pop. That means you processed almost like 
57 million credit card swipes across 10,000 installed customers. Is that about right? 57,000 million customer swipes? Oh, wait, wait, wait. You're, probably, you're probably very close, close to 60, I think it was. But wow, um, it's crazy because when we first started in 2017, it's crazy. We made, our revenue that year was $96,000. You know, in 2021, it was 12.7 million. This last past year was close to 18 million. And this year we're projected to do close to 30 million and growing. And that's all bootstrap. Now, uh, you know, I think we've we, we've shown the process works, and we've shown what we've done is works, and we're building out technology today with our fintech team. Uh, so we're doing unique things. We just happen to be growing slower because we're not focused on big markets where their average transaction in a month, volume wise, is almost twice as what we get in rural America because we're in a, a non-aggressively populated areas that like big big dogs are like toast and all those guys. No, it's inc- it's incredible. So just to repeat those numbers back to you, last year you did 18 million, right? The year before that you did 12.7 million. And what did you do in 2020? Uh, 20, I said 2017, we did 97,000. Uh, I'm saying back when we first started, I'll just kind of give you kind of a high fast forward a little bit for you. But I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, so the and, first year we thought 97,000 was dope. So yeah. And what do you think you'll do this year? 30? I think we'll be close to 27 to 30, depending on how the Salesforce goes with our. When, our hiring list we just had. So that's awesome. Okay. What a great story. Let's, uh, I guess, how did you go from that auto repair shop to 10,000 customers? Is it still, do you require reps to go door knocking? How are you growing today? Yeah, we have three pillars. And, and um, so kind of break it down real quick for you at a high level. Uh, we have our account manager channel, which is our W2 Salesforce that is focused on rural America. Um, and we have our 1099 independent contractor Salesforce that they don't work for us. They, they're non-exclusive. They can work for any company in the United States. And, and our goal is to teach them the space and work for us. And they focus, again, on rural America. Um, and those guys are boots on the ground face-to-face, which I think rural America lacks. Um, and then we obviously have the channel. We have a lot of marketing. We're, we're very big in social media marketing. We have an inside sales channel uh, that we work with clients across America to help them out. Just because maybe we can't have a boots on the ground because we don't have a, obviously a body in every small city in the world and the United States, excuse me. Uh, so we have to be able to help them out as well through our inside sales channel. So we have three separate channels, um, and including the uh, kind of a silent channel, which is our fintech, which we're building out technologies that will eventually have SaaS fees attached to them based on what the client needs, kind of a la carte, which we're launching in the next couple of months. So this is fascinating. So Austin, talk about how much how powerful you feel because you don't have a board and you can make quick decisions and you haven't raised a hundred million bucks in VC. What does that allow you to do? Um, you know, it's crazy that you mentioned that because I watched that happen in my career with organizations I was part of. And I just remember that feeling of culture uh, diminishing very quickly. Um, and then basically you can almost feel like power being taken away from the people and even the leaders. And I didn't want that feeling. So I said, proof of concepts where we're going to have to start. So if we ever look at that, it's our way. It's not someone else's way. Um, and that's if we ever look at it down the road. And do I feel powerful? I mean, we're in a big space. You know, excuse my language, but I think, you know, we're bitches compared to these big dogs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they got a lot more money and a lot more manpower and a lot more, you know, people. But what we do have is we're like a speedboat. You know, we could pivot at any moment. Um, these guys are like the Titanic, man. If they're pivoting, they got to watch out for icebergs and they can't go quick enough. Um, so ours is a janitor to the CEO thought process of what we focus on, which is culture first. You know, transparency and being the voice for small business owners. And believe it or not, we have a mindset that's different than probably what stockholders would want if they did have, if we did have P money, which is our clients aren't number one, believe it or not. They're, they're not number one. And by the way, they're not always right either. Our number one person that we focus on is company culture, the people that were in our organization. So 
We have 63% minorities, 27% women, and over 95% of our staff come from outside the payment space. And I did that on purpose, knowing that it takes six to nine months to train them, but at least they could do it the right way. Our industry is full of, it's just a fucking nightmare, our industry in general, of taking advantage of people. And I just don't want to be a part of that anymore. I was part of the problem for a lot of my career being naive and not knowing. And I learned it and I wanted to get out of it. And now I want to do it differently. And, and that allows us to have that power factor like you mentioned. Now, do I feel powerful compared to the big dogs that can crush us financially and body-wise? Well, no, we're, we're, we're babies. Do I feel powerful on the vision and you know what we could put first and, and how we want to roll with our company when it comes on a, our group buying into what we are and what we stand for? Absolutely, I feel powerful. That's awesome. Well, Austin, before we wrap up, obviously you're in a very good position, especially in a recession. Your VC-backed competitors are reeling right now, trying doing layoffs, losing customers like crazy. Do you take advantage of this anyway? Do you go buy a bunch of your VC-backed competitors? How do you take advantage of a recession? Because you've done such a good job being healthy in terms of unit economics. Uh, well, the crazy thing is, you know, with this industry, if, if it's a recession or good, or we're not a recession, everyone uses a credit card. So today, if People don't have money. They're using a credit card. They're going in debt, unfortunately, but they're still using it to survive. And if they have a lot of money and they don't have debt, they're using credit cards for their points. So either way, we're always going to see you know credit cards being used. And as they're doing these layoffs, et cetera, we're actually moving people to Iowa. You know, I just moved. You know, I, I moved people from Florida, from you know California. I moved people from Mexico before. I moved people from you know other parts of the state to Waukee, Iowa. You know, and and I and. People are buying into that and they're okay with it. Cost of living is you know, fair. Uh, you don't have to go to Silicon Valley where cost of living skyrocket. We don't have to have as much money as them either because the price of li- cost of living here is substantially cheaper. So it allowed us to bootstrap this and do it in Iowa and it probably saved us um, you know, a, a lot of money and time because we were in Iowa doing it. Mm-hmm. No, it makes tons of sense. Listen, it's a heck of a story. We're out of time today. Though. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite book? Uh, everyone asks me that question. Uh, I don't have a favorite book. My favorite book is the one I'm writing every day. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, I think I follow a a lot of individuals out there that, you know, uh, I I look at, um, I wouldn't say there's one specific that stands out, but I usually follow a lot within our industry or outside, but there's not one favorite. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building BusyPay? Uh, LinkedIn. Believe it or not, the most underused tool in the world, I think, and we use it to the to the tilt. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Sass. That's a great question. To seven hours, I wake up at six every right. morning. I usually get to bed, yeah, plus seven. And I saw a wedding ring on, so I'm going to assume married, but married, single, kids. What's your situation? Uh, married to my wife for almost twenty years. Uh, three kids: seventeen, uh, fourteen, and twelve. So. Wow! And how old are, how old are you? I am 38. 38. All right. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Um, I wish I understood what empathy really meant when I was 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys, I think Viz- I learned a lot more now growing this organization. Guys, VisiPay.com is doing $1.5 million a month right now or $18 million on average. Uh, this is talking last year's numbers. He's thinking they'll do about $27 million this year. He helps over 10,000 local bars, restaurants, auto repair shops in rural America process credit cards faster. He gives away a $2,000 POS system if they ask for it. They then run their math. He's taking on average $0.58 cents per transaction. He did almost $60 million transactions last month. And the best part about this, he's done all of this completely bootstrapped with his team of 130 folks out there in Iowa. Austin, thank you for taking us to the top. All right. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it.